to PCI Cast, a conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Let's hear what the team have been talking about this week. Just thinking there, this is now, you know, the second former moderator of the General Assembly that we've had on, and the third person who has their own Wikipedia page, uh, Stafford. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, Craig. <clears throat> Good to have you with us. How's um, how's how's life been for you the past wee past wee while? What are you up well, to? Yeah, as you know, I, I just retired from the college at the end of uh, last year, so I'm into my fifth month of retirement, so called, and um, still getting used to that. I, I think it's all been kind of strange and weird uh, because of the COVID lockdown. So I'm not sure how much of my uh, dis uh, discomfort has been caused by the lockdown or by retirement. <laughs> it's a kind of combination of both. So sorry, go on, five, five months into retirement, Stafford, and w- welcome to the podcast. Tell us, what what are you listening to? What are you... <laughs> you've, you've got maybe a little bit more time than, than you had as the, the principal of, of the college. So yeah. uh, what's going on? <laughs> well, I, Surprisingly, Ben, it's an opportunity to get back into some reading again, and wow. I've been enjoying that, uh, just being able to freewheel through stuff that I always wanted to get to. So I've been uh, reading a bit of Bavink again and uh, enjoying that um, and reading some other um, some other stuff that I just never got a chance to get around to. Uh, plus, I've discovered the world of podcasts. And... Um, <laughs> When I go out for a walk, uh, I try to have something uh, downloaded onto my phone so I can listen to it as I as I walk along, and that's been that's been interesting. Yeah, uh, there's a good stuff. Uh, you know the Melvin Bragg stuff in your time, and mm. there's a lot of interesting stuff on there uh, that I've been picking up. Plus, uh, listen to some Keller stuff, uh, Carl Truman, Mortification of Spin. Um, and there's lots of stuff on BBC Sounds that that is of interest. So yeah, a mixture of stuff. So you've said that you've uh, you've you've retired, um, and are you like every other Presbyterian minister who says they're retired and then they're they're working harder than they ever have? Or, or um, <laughs> yeah, or, well, let me let me take that back a wee bit. You you retired from being the the executive principal of the college, and you were heavily involved in the training of ministers and in homiletics and in, in ministry for formation uh, as well. I want to talk to you a wee bit about what you've retired from, because I know it's something you're very passionate about. Yeah, well, well I guess, you know, my time in Union, uh, the focus was pretty much on how can we renew and refresh our approach to ministerial training and, and bring in all the personal dimensions of, of ministry. If you go back a couple of generations, Craig, uh, it was a case that theological education was pretty much just an academic pursuit. Um, mm. If you passed all the exams in all the academic subjects, you were uh, reckoned to be ready for licensing and then for ordination. And we tried just to make more of an emphasis on ministerial training. Let's think about the actual job that uh, people are going to do at the end of their training uh, and is there anything we can do that will help them and fit them uh, for that um, and that's why I, I thought um, perhaps the one contribution I could make 
uh, would be along that line of what, what is really practical, uh, what are the tensions, the challenges, the opportunities of pastoral ministry, and how we can prepare ourselves personally uh, in terms of our own spiritual lives uh, for that type of ministry. Um, so that, that, that has been good fun, and that has been interesting. And um, I, I, you need to talk to the students, of course, they're the, they're the consumers, they'll tell you. Uh, but for those of us who remember the academic only uh, route into ministry, then we think that what we have tried to do has been an enhancement of that. Yeah. I know, I know Ben, you, you, were, you weren't at college during Stafford's time as principal. Sure, you weren't. You're, you're an old man. You were gone by that point, weren't you? Yes. Um... Gone, but but I, I certainly, <laughs> I, was, I, I arrived at Union for Ministry Training in your first year as principal. And I know that I certainly valued, you know, those two hours on a Friday morning, you know, 11 to, to 1 and that time just for, you know, ministry students to, to, you know, to come aside and do something a little bit different from the regular life of the college where we're mixing with undergraduates and postgrads and everybody else, just for ministry students to be aside for those couple of hours and to, to think through some, you know, more practical issues and things that are, that are facing um, ministers and ministry training. Um, what would you say that, you know, the biggest things that, that ministers and those in pastoral ministry are going to be facing, you know, in the next kind of, you know, short to medium term, five to 10 years? And how is what's being done at the college now, you know, preparing ministers to, to go in and, and face those things? Yeah, well, I, I think our context in Ireland, Craig, uh, you know, is very crucial and important uh, that uh, many of us have a vision for a non-sectarian reformed biblical church in Ireland uh, and how can we prepare ministers that will nurture that and develop that uh, so it's pretty much a focus on the gospel uh, mm. we really want to stay say Christ-centered gospel focused in all of our ministry and, and understanding that that gospel commitment uh, what does that actually mean in terms of how we do the basics uh, of ministry, which of course uh, are just in the areas of preaching, uh, pastoral work and leadership uh, within a congregation. Um, the model we've worked with, mm. certainly the model I work with, is a ministry that is based on Christ as prophet, priest and king. So there's a prophetic, a priestly and a kingly aspect uh, to pastoral ministry. Uh, and I've been trying to say to the students, we need to think about our giftedness and nurturing and enhancing our abilities in each of those three areas. So the, the, the prospective ministry student, you know, he's training for ministry. Uh, then there's a lot more time spent during the college, I, certainly talking with Craig and others, uh, that, that that seems to be the case. Not to say that um, even in my time and before that, that there was, I think we were on a journey um, to, towards that, uh, away from that kind of academic only. Uh, we always had our, our ministry modules and, and all the rest, but I suppose a, a sharpening of the blade, as it were, more keenly felt um, and an application to these practical uh, concerns of what it's going to look like. Is that fair enough, Stafford? Yeah, I, I think that's that's true, Ben. There's been a shift in theological education generally. Yeah. You know, we've moved from the academic world and then we got into a kind of skills-based model. Mm -hmm. You know, ministry is all about the skills you have and what you're able to do. And now I think we've moved 
you know, pretty much towards the spiritual formation module where, where we're saying, yes, there are certain things you've got to be able to do, but fundamentally ministry is about who you are rather than what you can do. So that the personal aspect has become increasingly important. Now, now we don't only have ministers who listen to us. We have a few ministers who listen, but we also have uh, plenty of members, elders. How would this look? How does this look uh, perhaps for member of the congregation uh, compared to, uh, you know, the old model? What, what would this, this idea of, you know, whenever you start talking about spiritual formation, certainly there are those who will, you know, of us who get that and understand what you're saying, but how would they talk different or what does it look, how, how does it look different? If you know what I mean, whenever the rubber hits the road and it's your, your first sermon and your, your first charge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 I think if you go back to the old model, uh, you know, I began my ministry in Kells and County Antrim. And, and, and what people would have remembered there that was that the minister was one of the three educated people in the village. You know, you had the doctor, you had the schoolmaster and you had the minister and they had had the privilege of higher level education. Now, all that has changed, obviously, uh, and many, many more people in the congregation are, are very well educated and often better educated, more intelligent than the minister in the pulpit. But I, I think nonetheless, because we're seeking fundamentally a ministry, we're seeking personal transformation. We're, we're seeking people who will become dedicated followers of Christ and who will uh, begin to show something uh, of Christ-like nature in their day-to-day -day lives. So the minister has to become the cheerleader for that. Uh, so he, he models that in terms of his own life. Uh, he, he talks about uh, his own spiritual uh, development uh, and his, his own walk with the Lord. Uh, and he allows that to become uh, a stimulus to the people in his congregation so that they too will, will follow the Lord. Interesting, you know, if, if you read Martin Lloyd-Jones on preaching, he, he will say that the minister should never talk about himself. He should never give away anything about himself. Whereas I think, you know, a modern generation are saying, we've got to know who this person is who's preaching to us week by week. So the, the, the personal dimension becomes uh, very, very important. Um, I, I sat in a service with my son a couple of years ago, uh, and on the way out, um, I, uh, I said to him, well, what do you think of that? And his first comment was, the preacher never told us anything about himself. I, I didn't know who he was. And he was looking for that, that personal dimension uh, that uh, maybe a previous generation didn't seek so much. But do you think then, Stafford, is that, is that the pressure of the society around, uh, as in the culture of celebrity, backstaging the individual and that desire to, we've talked a little bit of this before actually, and we've touched on this before in, in PCI cast, but that idea that people do want the kind of the background, info, you know, that that's changed, has it not since the olden days? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and that's where, you know, the balance needs to be struck, Ben. Yes, you know, that yes. the minister's not just going into the pulpit and give <laughs> a kind of full revelation of every uh, aspect of his or her life, but uh, is uh, in a very real sense uh, talking about the Bible and about Christ and about the gospel as someone who is himself accountable. 
who lives under the word and who applies that word to his own heart and life. I think certainly in a, you know, <laughs> I hate to constantly refer to the, the pandemic and all this, but certainly in a post-pandemic world as church begins to open back up again and some kind of normality, you know, comes to be restored. There's certainly in my context in Rathcool, we're sensing a real yearning for real genuine fellowship and togetherness and connectedness that we have missed in the past kind of 14, 15 months. And I suppose in a sense that you know, that has to be modeled from the, the front with, you know, teaching and ruling elders as well. Again, not being, you know, aloof or, or up there, uh, but, you know, a part of the congregation and, and, and struggling with all the same things that, you know, that you're, you're standing up and expounding from the, the, the word of God. Is that, that fair to say? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's true. We, we crave that horizontal dimension uh, in terms of our worship and in terms of our Christian fellowship. But I think I would also say, Craig, the thing I have missed personally has been that vertical dimension. Yeah, you know that there, there's a sense in which all the online services um, and all the digital opportunities we have had haven't really delivered on that sense of really worshiping God, singing His praise, having a genuine sense of His presence. Um, I, I find myself, even as I, I watch services from week to week, that I'm watching them as a spectator rather than as a participant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I really crave the opportunity to, to lift my heart and my voice in, in praise to the Lord with God's people and uh, knowing uh, just that experience of being in worship and with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven, you know, praising the Lord. Yeah, I think it's a learning opportunity for us as probably a denomination that has tended towards more the the teaching, the kind of the giving over of information during a service um, that that does lend itself, I guess, to um, the digital, you know, watch a video, et cetera, et cetera. But we're now reminded, as you just said, <laughs> Stafford, and we've all felt it, you need to be with, uh, not forsaking the, the meeting of the brethren, as it were, you need to be one, to, one with another. Um, and there's no replacing uh, that, uh, However, it's it's still I still feel it with some folk in ours that um, these this two meters and the masks and all the rest. It, it's good to be there and it's good to be together. But but it would be how much more better whenever we don't have muffled uh, muffled yeah. voices and and distance. And I think the distance thing is hard for people. It's hard. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I think just talking to others, I think almost everybody would say Ben that their experience of worship has been diminished mm-hmm. even by the distancing and by the mask wearing and by the inability to sing out yeah. in, in praise to the Lord. Um, I, I couldn't believe just how much I was missing that. Um, it really struck me uh, after about six months, this isn't good and it's not good for me personally and spiritually to be missing out on this. So I'm I'm lamenting the fact that we have lost out on that. So when you say, Craig, what are the challenges facing us? I think many of us will come back to church feeling as though we're a bit dried up spiritually, as though we're really not on the front foot and we'll need to be encouraged and we'll need to get back into to a, a groove of uh, 
listening again to the Lord and enjoying uh, the fellowship of his people. Yeah, no, you're right. I think the, you know, you, I was talking there about the, you know, the horizontal kind of aspect and that kind of relationship with other people. And you're kind of leaning on the, you know, the, the vertical aspect of relationship between us and, and our Lord. But the only place where both of those things can be yeah. fulfilled is in the corporate worship service that we've been so lacking in the past kind of 14 months. So it's, it's so it's great. You know, certainly we in, you know, Northern Ireland are back to doing that. And is it, Ben, you correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably better more knowledgeable than this or Stafford maybe. Is it this Sunday that our brothers and sisters in the Republic are able yeah. to gather again? Have I, have I picked that up wrong? I'm pretty sure it's this Sunday, isn't, isn't that right? Yeah, the, the, yeah just, the, the restrictions were just lifted yesterday. Yeah. And I think we need to remember our brothers and sisters Absolutely. south of the border. What a terrible time it's been for them yeah. uh, to be denied worship uh, for for so long. We, our hearts go out to them. There's a gospel, a gospel bam that, that needs to be applied by the minister, uh, but by the people as uh, you know that that when they gather, uh, as you rightly point us out, um, Stafford, that there, there is that uh, dried upness, that that feeling of a uh, parchness, and how we need to hear, uh, "Come on to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And to receive the rest of forgiveness of sins, or even the, the guilt that perhaps some feel from missing Sabbath for so long. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to know that we're forgiven in Christ and uh, we can uh, worship afresh uh, together as a people. But uh, And our prayers answered for the South. Amen. Yeah. We've, we've spoken a little bit about how the local church is perhaps going to look different and is going to have to uh, adapt going forward. But maybe going back a few steps and thinking again about, about the college, that they, the, the college is going to be a, a bit of a different place now going forward um in, into the future do you perhaps want to say a little bit about that and what the changes that you know how the college is going to be running and operating is is going to be yeah well obviously it's in my dear brother gordon campbell's hands uh, as principal now and gordon will do a marvelous job with that but there's been a significant transition that has happened there uh and that with the departure from queens uh we have had to move in a different direction so the, the one area that's been really encouraging has been the development of online PTFI courses. Uh, for those who don't know, PTFI is the Presbyterian Theological Faculty Ireland. And way back in the 1880s, um, Queen Victoria gave uh, to uh, what was then Assemblies College Belfast a royal charter uh, to permit the awarding of postgraduate degrees in theology. So we, we went back to that and we've done a couple of things. Uh, one is we've had that charter refreshed and renewed uh, uh, again for us. And we put that before the Privy Council and before Her Majesty and she signed off on that so that we are really very much strengthened in terms of our academic credentials in awarding um, a PTFI uh, degree. And we've developed a range of uh, postgraduate courses. MTH in Reformed Theology has gone very well. MTH in New Testament is moving forward. There's also an MA in Christian Theology, which has had great kind of global uptake, uh, which has been very good as well. So um, the faculty have all been uh, very active and very busy in terms of delivering those courses. But then alongside of that, uh, at the point where 
Queen's step back from offering undergraduate theology qualifications, we said, well, what we need is really to continue that ministry for the benefit of all young people uh, here in this region. Uh, there's no other uh, offering uh, similar to what we were doing in this region. Uh, so we, we looked around and we had quite a prolonged process of analysis. Who would validate uh, the kind of undergraduate degree that we would like to offer? Who would understand where we're coming from, understand the identity and the ethos of Union College? and would allow us uh, to move ahead with offering an under, undergraduate degree. So uh, it's an interesting story how it came about. We, we analysed, uh, we had our 10 very clear criteria that we used, uh, and we came down to St Mary's University in Twickenham. And um, we had a very, and we have had a very profitable uh, conversation and relationship with them so that they're at the point now of validating an undergraduate degree that we can offer uh, in Belfast. Remember PTFI only gives us permission to offer postgraduate qualification mm -hmm. but we wanted to offer something for 18 year olds, people coming through from school who wanted a degree in theology. Okay. So it's been working well. Maybe I did so there's kind of there's technical language there a little bit whenever you mentioned validation or validating. Maybe talk through the difference. So our listeners kind of have this idea, wasn't it almost like a franchise that, you know, you had yeah. the Institute of Theology at Queen's, but Union was its own agency and we, we awarded our degrees. With St. Mary's used that word validate, but that's maybe not, uh, maybe requires just a little bit of unpacking. Uh, for, sure. For, 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 <clears throat> Yeah, uh, glad to do that, Ben. You know, if you get a franchise from McDonald's, yeah. you're, you're, you're selling the McDonald's burgers. Uh, what's going to happen is Union College are making, we're making our own burgers. Uh, that's really the difference. Um, we have our own degree program according mm -hmm. to our own standards. Again, uh, quality assured through QAA for higher education. Uh, but um, uh, what will happen is that St Mary's will have a look at that and say, yeah, that, that looks okay. We're prepared to stand over that, um, but we're not answerable to it. We, we manufacture everything ourselves and they simply uh, validate the degree programme for us. Um, so there's a sense in which what we were doing with Queen's was a franchise programme. Uh, the the programme was created, you'll probably remember, with four colleges, uh, Edge Hill, Belfast Bible College, Irish Baptist College, and ourselves, uh, that Institute of Theology has now pretty much evaporated. Um, everybody has gone their own way. Uh, and we believe that the, the opportunities with St. Mary's are really immense, uh, really open up the opportunity to all the young people in Northern Ireland uh, mm -hmm. who would really want to do a degree in theology. Um, the numbers doing A-level RE or A-level RS continue to be pretty high. Uh, across both controlled and maintained uh, schools in Northern Ireland. We have a very good relationship uh, with RE teachers in a whole variety of schools, and we've been consulting with them. And we think that what we have on offer will really continue to help young people to think about matters of faith and religion here in this part of the world without having to go across the water in order to study theology. So the Presbyterian Church in Ireland is a 
confessionally reformed denomination, whereas St. Mary's is historically a Roman Catholic university. Is there any sense of tension there or anything that anybody needs to, to be concerned about in that regard? No, I, I think uh, they, they understand very clearly uh, what it means to teach out of a confessional commitment because that's what St. Mary's does. They have, a, they have a confessional commitment towards Catholicism, but they understand that we're a reformed, as you say, Craig, reformed college, and we're teaching out of our confessional commitment as well. Um, and that actually works. The, the, amazing, <laughs> the amazing thing is that in so many areas of biblical studies, moral theology, ethics, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much on the same page, actually. Um, and we're pretty much seeking the same same goals. Um, one of the things that the, the benchmark statement on theology says that um, the goal should be to create uh, a group of people or qualified people so that they can engage intelligently in discussions about matters of faith and religion within their community. And, and that's pretty much one of the driving uh, forces behind what we're, we're trying to do. Um, but, but as you know, um, uh, in the years of our affiliation with Queen's, we welcome students from absolutely every background um, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And we hope that will continue to be attractive to, to our 18 year olds who want to do theology. As a, as a church, we have a commitment with, the, with Union Theological College to these undergraduates. I know there are some voices who would say, well, why don't we not just train our ministry students or, or, or whatnot? But, but you see the college and we as a denomination see the college as having that um, role uh, for, for, for undergraduate training as well to, to bless the, the whole of well, the island, really. Uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I think it's part of our mission, part of our calling, uh, that we really do want to have that that wider ministry in yeah. terms of preparing young people for a whole range of careers. And that's not to say that we're not totally focused on the training of our own ministers. Mm. You know, we, we really believe that's our primary calling, that's number one. But here's something that we can do alongside of that, uh, which will really benefit uh, the whole island and the whole community. Maybe if I would, uh, Stafford, you are being a, a practitioner here teaching using um, technology through, through perhaps through the pandemic uh, and you, you mentioned the online PTFI courses so in some respects we were a little bit ahead how have you found it um, pitfalls uh, joys has it worked um, yeah it's, it's interesting Ben I have recorded a number of lectures you know that are transmitted whether we say asynchronously you know people come in in their own time and watch these lectures and then we try to balance that um with an online discussion group or, or some kind of seminar as well. It's, it's a very weird experience, as you know, uh, either preaching or teaching to a camera and nobody else there in the room. I, I think that's a whole new skill set that we have to learn. Um, so, yeah, um, the, the, the online discussion groups, yeah, they, they tend to work okay, uh, I think. I can say that um, people benefit from them, undoubtedly. Um, I've been teaching a module for Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and we've had a number of discussion groups there, and it's been absolutely global. So I've been sitting in a group, you know, there's a girl 
in Beijing. Uh, there's another young woman in Pusan in Korea. There's another fellow in East Africa. There's somebody in Dallas, uh, somebody else in Colorado. You know, it's just been a, uh, an absolutely wonderful experience because you begin to get a feel. This is this is global Christianity. Um, brothers and sisters, reformed Christians all around the world. Uh, and that, that's the exciting bit of it. Maybe just kind of leading on from that and building on it. Um, you wrote a paper a wee while ago for Theology in Scotland. It's called Recovering Reformed Catholicity. We'll, we'll link to it in the, the show notes so, so our brothers and sisters who are listening can, 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 have, a list or can have a read at that. But... Um, let me just read a, a, one of the statements that you make from it. Maybe then we could, we could have a chat about that. You said, and I, I want to propose that the content and, con and teaching of that confession, the Westminster Confession, continue to be relevant for Reformed churches today. And that if we are, with any credibility, going to claim to be a Reformed church that stands in the mainstream of Reformed Catholicity, we simply cannot relegate the Westminster Confession to the status of an honoured historical document. So what place does the Westminster Confession of Faith have, not just in uh, what ministers and elders sign up to on the night that they're ordained, what relevance does it have in the, in the regular life and faith and practice and witness of uh, everyone in the church, not just officers, but uh, lay people as well? Yeah, well, there's so much we can say there, Craig. You know, the, the one line is uh, Westminster Confession is a standard for truth and uh, a bulwark against error. And it's a reason for union. People can come together around, you know, the doctrines contained within the Westminster Confession. But the, the, the interesting context for that paper is now just next week. Uh, becoming even more relevant in the Church of Scotland General Assembly because the Theological Forum uh, of the Church of Scotland that invited me to give that paper at a conference in Edinburgh two years ago, they, they had been reviewing uh, their whole confessional standards mm. uh, and their, their commitments. And uh, the, the other thing you might want to link is the 2021 Theological Forum report uh, to the uh, Scottish General Assembly, and it kind of outlines the position they've got to now, uh, that they are proposing a range of confessions, uh, not just the Westminster Confession, uh, as being a standard uh, of the Church of Scotland. Um, yeah, I, I was enthusiastic. I, I think at that conference, I was the only one who was giving kind of a full scale commendation uh, to the to the Westminster Confession. The other speakers were pointing out all its shortcomings and failures. And I was doing that because I, I believe that the, the Westminster Confession links us back into Catholic and apostolic Christianity mm -hmm. uh, because it goes back through the main ecumenical creeds of our church. It gives us that sense that we stand in the mainstream of orthodox uh, confessional Christianity that goes right back to the early fathers and to the apostles themselves. So it's not by any means 
a restrictive document. It's not by any means a narrow document, but it's actually placing us where we want to be, not in some backwater, not up some creek, but in this, this mainstream of where Christians historically have stood and what they have believed. Uh, and that's, that's something I think that a younger generation really craves. That, that we're, we're not part of something recent. Uh, we're not, we just haven't emerged in the 21st century, but we're connected to the saints of all ages and, and to what has grown and developed and been reflected on over many, many years in terms of biblical studies and, and theological thought. Yeah, no, one of the things you comment on in that paper is, is <coughs> Chad Van Dixhorn's work. And I know a lot of people know <laughs> that from his kind of shorter summary and study through the, the Westminster Confession. I think then we gave it away as a as a as a as a prize one time. Yeah, there it is, Confessing the Faith. I got another copy there the other day. Um, but one of the things you draw out from it is that you know he kind of concludes that, you know, contrary to popular opinion, the confession's not, you know, rigid, tight, narrow, uh, overly precise, but it is nuanced and there are areas in which it it has that kind of ambiguity built into it. Do you think that those that those aspects of the confession and the way it's put together is going to be helpful for us in PCI going forward in the in you know the, the short to medium term ahead of us? Oh, absolutely. Because not only is it connecting us to to all this great heritage of Christian thought and reflection, but but it continues to have practical relevance because it's a great digest of the teaching of scripture. Um, if you read the Church of Scotland report, they, they have a line in it there that says, well, really the Westminster Confession has no practical uh, implications for the Church of Scotland currently. Nobody reads it, nobody's concerned about it. And many people disagree with an awful lot of what it says. Therefore, we probably should look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but my contention would be the more we look at it, the more we reflect on it, uh, the more it will be helpful to us. We're not going to come to some radically different alternatives. If we are, then we need to do an awful lot of biblical study in order to get us. But the wonderful get us there. But the wonderful thing is Chad um, records in those minutes of the General Assembly is the quality of the reflection and the discussion that went on at the time of the Westminster Assembly. It was high quality discussion uh, that was um, reflecting a range of opinions and a range of perspectives, and we can still benefit from that. So I, I suppose, Craig, what I'm saying, is it sad that the, the Westminster Confession is not more front and center in many of our lives or in, in many of our discussions and debates? Uh, as a church, even at presbytery level or Kirk session level. Yeah, and it's interesting as well, just <clears throat> that the direction that the Church of Scotland have decided to go in. I mean, they've decided that they're going to fold in a number of other confessions of faith and have a book of confessions, kind of similar to what the PCUSA do in the yeah. States. Whereas the, the pattern in, in PCI, whenever subscription has has raised its head in the General Assembly through our history. It's been more on the, the, the mode and the manner and the means in which we subscribe to the confession. Has, has there ever been any you know, conversation in PCI about doing something similar to that? Or is the conversation going to be around how officers subscribe to the standard? Yeah, there was discussion 
in the past, you remember Church of Scotland went for Articles Declaratory where they tried uh, to say what are the fundamental doctrines of the faith. And I think back in 1974, our own General Assembly uh, had a similar kind of move um, at that time where they were defining the fundamentals of the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't, put it like this, Craig, I don't know of anyone who says a strong affirmation to every jot and tittle of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, I think people have exceptions. Uh, They have reservations about certain parts of it. But when it comes to a summary of reformed Christianity, it hasn't been bettered. And there's, there's nothing to replace it in many ways. We may want to think about it and apply it and see where it's useful. But in terms of all the basic doctrines of God and of Christ and of salvation and of the sacraments are all so well described there and dealt with so competently. I wonder, we we, we, we lurched into um, the deep end there of <laughs> confessionalism and subscription, perhaps for some who are listening. Um, Stafford mentioned things like articles declarative and so there were, if, if I'm remembering right, ide- there's there's an idea of a, a confession within a confession. So we don't know, for folk who are listening and hear us talk about the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's this document, obviously written uh, all, all those years ago, hundreds of years ago, but it's not just a document, it's not just an honoured mm-hmm. historical document for us as a church, we subscribe it, and you heard Craig mention that there, uh, we subscribe it as the confession of my faith, uh, not subscribe to it, but it. Uh, so then that's where then Stafford, I'm providing a wee bit of interpretation here for folk. Am I right, Stafford? Isn't that right that this idea of declarative articles was trying to find some sort of form within the the confession. Yeah, can, can we distill out of the confession what's really central and key? And mm. then there's other bits that are kind of uh, optional that we can let go. PCI has never gone in that direction. No. And uh, I don't think it would be a good way for us to proceed. Uh, and equally, we we don't, um, you might have heard Stafford mention things like uh, exceptions and uh, we as a denomination have no mechanism for any of your officers, that, that whenever you hear of a ruling elder or a minister who uh, subscribes the confession, there are, there are no uh, presbytery or general assembly means for us to say, no, I don't like this, but isn't that right? Well, formally we don't do that, although it's always interesting, Ben. Uh, when we're interviewing students prior to licensing at mm. presbytery level, we say to them, okay, you're going to subscribe the Westminster Confession of Faith. Are you happy with that? Uh, are you happy to do that? And everyone, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no problem. And then you say to them, okay, uh, what about the chapter on Sabbath observance? Mm. Uh, the whole day is given over to the worship of God. Do, do, you, do, you, do you practice that? Is that something you're committed to? Um, uh, and then you begin to see people uh, uh, look at their shoes or look at the ceiling or uh, begin to think again about that. Well, uh, that, (laughs) I suppose each presbytery uh, can uh, can handle that. Though your presbytery may have done that in in, in Armagh, others don't, but there there isn't a mechanism. Um, There's no way for us to say, no, I don't like that bit about, say, the creation of the world. Um, That's how you got in then, Ben. You weren't actually. (laughs) (laughs) I 
I, I can say Marge Presbytery, where I, I was grilled uh, thoroughly by, by Paul Bailey. No, no, Tyrone Presbytery grilled me as well and, and gave me a fair opportunity to, to talk about it. But uh, th- there was nothing codified, as it were, on, on the matter. <laughs> you subscribe all of it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it's interesting. When I was teaching at Westminster Seminary, uh, each year I had to have an interview with each member of faculty. Uh, and the, the question was always put as a standard question. You can continue to be happy with the standards. Um, and uh, Dan McCartney, who uh, taught New Testament there, uh, Dan was forever revising his exceptions to the confession. So almost on an annual basis, he would come and say, well, I was thinking about this phrase, or I was thinking about that particular expression, and was wondering again about that. So there was an ongoing relationship with the confession, uh, as mm. far as Dan was concerned. And I think that's the way it has to be, that we, we, we continue, we, do, we don't know it all, immediately uh, or clearly, but um, we, we continue to reflect on it and learn from it and are guided by it. So we've, we've talked about ministry formation, we've talked about the college, we've talked about the confession. I guess you could bring all three of those together and ask the question, are you hopeful for the direction that we're heading in as a, both in general as a, as a church uh, and maybe more specifically with uh, the ministers that are are being trained and coming through at the minute. How do you, what, what's your maybe two or three sentence summing up of, of how you feel we're, we're, we're faring as a, as a denomination? I, I, I think we have to be very, very thankful, Craig, for the quality of people who are coming through right now. Uh, some of them are outstanding, uh, you know, very gifted intellectually uh, and have all the right uh, spiritual uh, desires and cravings um, and in that sense yeah we have every reason to be optimistic we just need more of them um, mm. and um, uh, we, we long that the Lord would continue to call people into his service uh, and to, to understand that pastoral ministry ministry in the local church is where the action is in yeah. terms of the kingdom of God you know, that's where God works in people's lives. And the opportunity to share God's word, to be with people, uh, to provide leadership uh, for a local congregation. There's nothing nothing you would want to be doing other than that. It's just, it's just marvelous. And, and I suppose I could say, if anything, that's where my heart is. You know, um, f- for seven years, I stepped away from pastoral ministry in order to do this other job. But, you know, uh, it's really... And my heart's desire to, to be with people, to be preaching his word regularly uh, and just to strategize with regard to how we can move the kingdom forward in the situation where the Lord has placed us. Uh, I would be excited about that. I, and I think many of our students coming through are, are excited about that. Uh, with regard to the denomination as a whole, yeah, <clears throat> the, there's a lot of congregations that need to be revitalized. There's a big task to be done there. But Boy, I would really love our church to have a, a significant church planting ministry again. Yeah. That we, we really need to think about areas uh, and regions of Ireland uh, where we need to take the gospel and we need to plant churches. Like I think Donna Bate is our most recent church plant and already it is 10 years old. You know, we need to be looking and thinking and creating the resources so that we can actually plant churches. And I think many of our guys coming through are up for that and they want to do that. It's just we 
haven't got a very good mechanism uh, together at the minute to resource that. Yeah. One, so, one. Sorry, Ben, I'll let, I'll let it interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, saying wonderful, uh, Stafford, for that. You'll be getting, um, your inbox will be filled up with uh, ministers looking uh, you know, a, a pastoral visitor or something. <laughs> As, as retired folks sometimes uh, sometimes do, uh, but uh, no, thank, thank and thank you for that bigger picture of a vision for PCI uh, as well. Um, one thing, perhaps out of the post out of this pandemic, we talk about the post pandemic world and organisations talk about the great reset and all the rest. Maybe there is this inflection moment for PCI to uh, to, to grasp that um, to grasp that vision. Yeah, I I, I think so. Uh, I, and it's not that people are opposed to it. You know, you, you talk to the hygienists in our church; they're they're all uh, they're all up for it. Uh, they, they want to see the the church move forward, but uh, we just haven't been. You know, if you think of the city of Belfast, mm-hmm. and we know the demographics of Belfast have changed enormously. Um, that Belfast is a real donut. You know, everybody lives around it; nobody lives in it. There, there's a big. Uh, gap there in the middle but is there any way in which we could redo our ministry in Belfast and we've got uh, whole committees and um, panels who who look at all that Uh, but uh, that needs work of course Rathcool needs work Craigie Hill needs work Portadown needs work as well Uh, wherever we are there's, there's going to be a challenge in terms of seeing the church move forward it's great to be Presbyterian that we can think about all these things together as well, isn't it? Rather than little, little islands on their own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Stafford, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat to us this afternoon. I know you're away off to, to chat to some folks across the, the pond in Philadelphia this afternoon about what you're doing. And in yeah. summer, you're teaching a few modules, you were saying? Yeah, I'm just teaching a couple of uh, summer semester modules for Westminster Seminary. Um, one on preaching, another on what they call gospel communication. So uh, it, it's all great stuff. I love love talking about that. Brilliant. Well, I hope that goes goes well, and that the the folks you're you're lecturing to are, are edified and taught. And again, thank you for, for edifying and teaching us and uh, and thinking with us today. It's been been great to chat to you. Well, well, you're well done, guys, for putting this podcast together. Uh, you've done a superb job on that. Keep going. There we go. Uh, a long-term listener, first-time caller. Way. <laughs> God bless you guys. Thanks, ever. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to PCI Cast. Join us again next time for another conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter using at PCI Cast. See you next time. My rewriting of the Shorter Catechism is slowly uh, proceeding. Me and a, a chap from Poland, Sashko, and another guy from a, uh, a member of, uh, is it Greenwell Street in um, uh, Newton Arts? Uh, we're, we're writing the Shorter Catechism for children, accompanied with uh, illustrations and all the rest for, we hope in Crossway we'll take it. Right. What, and what, why are you rewriting it? Is it not good enough as it is? <laughs>